you are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are at Lago Lacino. Brian Nygaard, il barone, the baron. Buonasera. Where are we? Buonasera, Daniel. We are sitting in um, one of the front rooms of Hotel Cervialto here in uh, Lago Laceno in Campania. Lago Laceno, you announced when we're on our way up here today that you're going to spend all of your future holidays at Lago Laceno. You were very taken with the place. Fake news. It's Calling fake news. fake news on that one. Describe the scene People outside. People who know though. me know that I would never say that. Describe the scene outside the Brian, because it is a pretty place, even for someone who's not a lover of the mountains and the outdoors in the same way that I am. Maybe you should do it because you are a lover of the mountains and everything related. I mean, yeah, it's it's not high altitude, but it I mean it was quite the climb to get up here. Um I mean it's it's a it's a grey, drizzly day again. But yeah, it is kind of, sort of like the misty, Look misty at those majestic mountains. large trees, Brian. We came through a beautiful beach forest earlier. Oh, it was very, it was very atmospheric. And we're surrounded by, well, the staff at the Hotel Cerviato there. We're surrounded up. by Bombolone. A Bombolone? Bologna. Yeah, they were serving these um, donuts to, oh, the, yes. to the press room. I didn't manage to get one, which is they, fine. And they're now clearing up after us. Um, after the journalists and um, this was where we had our buffet earlier today which was great uh, and uh, all of our colleagues are in the press room just adjacent to where we're sitting and podcasting brian um let's get on shall we with the serious business of today's podcast and the tale of the tapa it's time for the tale of the tapa brian off you go thank you daniel so today's stage stage four of the Giro d'Italia was started in Venosa in Basilicata and finished here where we are now in Lago Laceno, 175 kilometers. It was a hilly stage with three categorized climb with the last one finishing three kilometers before the finish, the Colle Molella, and then the last uh, three kilometers were was the run in here to the finish line. Um, it was a very, very busy start to the stage. Uh, it was quite busy at the end as well, but probably a little bit more hectic than a lot of a lot of riders were expecting it to be a lot of attacks and it took quite a while before the breakaway of the day established itself it was lumpy terrain wasn't it, brian i'm going to interrupt the teletapa just say that we were driving we were off some we were on a secret mission this morning more about that later um but we were driving over the same terrain that the race was ultimately going to cross go Not over a flat today it wasn't flat it was green and lumpy and well we saw the result of that in the racing didn't we um lots of things happening lots of splits and people getting dropped for a few minutes and coming back and no break going thank you daniel yeah well somewhat dramatic because um none of those breakaways would sort of stick and there was a break in the peloton after 35 kilometers of racing and Remco Evenepoel was not in the first part so he had to work a bit to get to get back again or his team did at least but uh yeah and Charles Almeida as well was uh, was caught behind it did calm down in the sense that the the breakaway of the day went uh, but not until uh half almost halfway through the stage Uh, well, 97 kilometers to go. Seven riders broke loose and the breakaway consisted of Aurélien Perepintre, 
of Ajidosa Citroën, Nicola Conchi, Alpesin de Koenig, Vincenzo Albanese, Eolo Cometa, Warren Bagill of Team Akea Samsic, Andreas Legnerson, the Norwegian of Team DSN. It's funny you left this name till last. No, the second last, oh, okay. Tom Scoins of Trek and his colleague, and I'm going to need your help here, Daniel, Emmanuel. Gebreg Zabir. Thank you very much, Daniel. Said in so, some sort of weird hybrid accent. Sorry. I think you did well. So the best in the GC of those seven was Andreas Legnerson, who... Just, there were a few that were quite high up on GC, yeah, weren't there? Yeah, were, there were a few. Not as many as, as you mentioned when we talked about it, but there was. <laughs> he was the best place at 140 before the, the start of the stage. So once the, the breakaway got the green light, which was kind of the pink light, because it meant that the Remco Evenepoel and Quickstep sent the, the breakaway away to take the jersey as well. A few sprints, a few climbs along the way. Um, no changes in the sense that Pino still retains the climber's jersey. He, um, he took the first one. And, and it's interesting how it was actually not until the last part of the stage there were two dramatic elements. One was, was the breakaway able to actually stay clear? And then would the jersey be handed over? But also, who was supposed to control the race behind? Because what we saw on the um, on the last climb was that Remco was, uh, Evenepoel was isolated. Uh, he had no more um, teammates around him. And it uh, what actually happened then was that Ineos, Team Ineos, they took over and they were doing quite a lot of pulling, which meant that the time left for Legnason to actually retain the jersey was getting sh shorter and shorter. He actually attacked after several attacks. Uh, Bagil, Warren Bagil was actually the first to get dropped in that group. You and I were talking about he was a potential stage winner. He absolutely wasn't. Weighed down by the marvelous mane of hair that he's currently sporting. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like the, the, the biblical the tale of Samson. Yeah. Anyway, so... Reverse Samson, sorry. So he eventually went, and the only one who could uh, follow him and who uh, caught on was Aurelien Parepantre, and he actually just caught up with him at the last uh, in the last ramps of the climb the last deeper bits so they went on those two and and in the three kilometer run in um Paris Panther, and there was sort of there wasn't a cat and mouse situation uh but it was clear that Legnason I think also had the intention of trying to go for the stage he eventually realized that he he was on the I think he was on on the radio with his team he realized that he had to push on to keep that uh, possibility and, and it wasn't that hard for Parepantre to beat him for the for the stage win. So he, he got that big win for Ajidosa Citroën team and a big uh, outcome for Team DSM and Legnason uh, having now the pink jersey. He's the first Norwegian, would you believe it, since Knut Knutsen uh, in 1981. Who can forget Knut Knutsen? Well, he was a, he won. Who I can think, pronounce Knut Knutsen? Well, I can. He's my <laughs> brother, my neighborhood country, I suppose. But um, I think he won several Giro stages, six or seven. He was quite a big rider back then. Um, and also, interestingly enough, uh, Legnason is from north of the um, Arctic Circle. Arctic Circle. And... I'm, I haven't looked Land at it specifically. I'm quite sure he's the first ever rider north of the Arctic Circle to win. He's from Tromsø, which is an interesting place to live if you're a bike rider. He moved away when he was 16, but it's basically so far north that it is either doesn't get dark during the half part of the year, or it does, you don't see any sunlight during the other half. I have friends who've lived up there, and it's it's pretty binary in terms of daylight. Either way, here we are. Uh, Remco then conceded the jersey, and he also conceded a white jersey um, to Legnason, 
which was somewhat relevant because one of the reasons, one of the, you know, some of the thinking behind Remco letting go of it was to avoid having to do the podium and everything that follows. Had he kept the white jersey, it would have been somewhat academic, but not entirely. He would still have uh, obligations, but now he doesn't. He could actually, for once, go straight to the bus and leave Paré-Panzer, Legnason and the other podium um, riders to do that work. Well, Brian, he, as you say, he lost minutes on general classification, but he gained potentially hours in post-race protocol, didn't he, by giving away the pink jersey or uh, maybe an hour. And that was one reason why I think he was so keen to give away the pink jersey. We talked about that. In fact, Brian, I was out at the finish line and within seconds of coming over the line, he'd stripped off. He had the pink jersey, well, covered at least, and he was in the rainbow jersey and off he went to his yeah. team bus. And by all accounts, I wasn't at the Sudal Quickstep team bus. He was in a very good mood afterwards and was pretty pleased with his day's work. But you mentioned in the Tapa, it was pretty clear that Andreas Lechnersunder one stage was also going for the stage win. And there was this moment when he realised that he really needed to switch his focus. Maybe aware that Paris Pantre is a fast rider. I mean, he won the Grand Prix La, La Marseillaise in a in a bunch sprint, effectively a couple of years ago. Um, he realised that he had to prioritise the pink jersey. But we're going to hear a little bit now from his direct sportive Matt Winston um, of DSM about when that decision was made and also about how this break today came to fruition, how their plan came to fruition. After that, we're going to hear from someone who's very much in the GC shakeup in this Giro d'Italia. You talked about Ineos as well and them crowding at the front of the peloton. We're going to talk to Teo Gegenhart about why Ineos were putting on the pressure on and whether it had anything to do with them maybe trying to keep Remco Avonapool in the pink jersey tonight. So Matt Winston first, then Teo Gegenhart. Well, Matt, I guess you love it when a plan comes together and I suppose that was some sort of a plan this morning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we knew today was probably the only day we could uh, realistically take the pink jersey in this race. Um, so we made a huge investment in the start. Um, to get um, Harm or Andreas in the break because we knew uh, we knew that kind of yeah like I say it was our only chance so it was a hard start big investment um, but Andreas got in there and he looked really good through the day we kept the focus on the stage victory though um, that's what we said we came for and we really did keep the focus on the stage victory probably only until about two k's to go when the AG2R rider caught him and then there was that kind of uh, that the game started um, if the gap had still been four minutes we would have also gone into those games and kept the focus but then Ineos were pulling hard um, you don't want to walk away with nothing after such a big investment um, and for sure the pink jersey is also nice so uh, then we committed full I just said to Andreas then that last K and a half just ride just ride in um, try and get a turn but if you don't then we just we just keep the pink we go for go for the pink so um, yeah it was uh, it was part of the plan but the stage, it was the goal was the stage, and if we took pink, then that'd be lovely. I guess maybe it wasn't part of the plan to have so many riders in that group that, that had a chance of the pink jersey, and had that made it difficult, I guess, in the team car as well. Yeah, it was a 70k where it was really, uh, really dynamic situation always. The, to be honest, I did suspect a lot of guys would go for it because realistically when you look at the GC and you look at how good the top guys are in the GC you don't get many opportunities to take the Maya Rosa um, so everyone is going to go everyone knows today was a good chance so you're going to get the anyone that can climb is going to be in the front and he's going to be chasing that jersey um, so we, we did expect we, we did say in the meeting kind of guys it can take an hour and a half two hours here to, to go and we've got to just keep the focus keep the energy levels high motivate each other and um, the, the stage victory was the plan but it's like I say, really nice to take the Maya Rosa. 
And just on the new pink jersey, we know that he's from the Arctic Circle, Tromso. I know he's had some really difficult times in his private life the last few years as well that he's overcome. Um, tell us some, something else about... or. What should we know about Andreas Leckerson? Yeah, I think he's been through uh, he's been through some uh, difficult difficult months, that's for sure. Um, so it will for sure mean really a lot to him this victory. Um, yeah, he's a he's a quiet guy. Um, as you see, kind of maybe from his victory in Arctic race last year, he's he's maybe a guy that can uh, really get the, the GC results when a little bit the pressure's off um, and kind of like a, a situation like today for him is, is a perfect example of that he can go and race from the front race hard and, and, and come into come into the jersey in the way that he did yeah he's, he's a nice he's a nice guy he's quiet keeps himself to himself a lot but yeah I think he'll be buzzing this evening I'll tell you how much did what was happening with Remco and his desire to lose the pink jersey did that change things on the final climb uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not really sure that it was the day to make a difference, to be honest. Um, especially with the wind in the last 3k. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe if someone had gone really full, full from the bottom, but as soon as we did 1k, then I don't think was really anyone really seen that it was necessary. And how hard was the day generally? I mean, the first hour looked looked pretty hectic. Yeah, I think it was maybe... Uh, what was it, that bottom of that climb, 50? must have been two hours almost for the break to go, I guess. So, yeah, solid day. Uh, I think that's good after a few days quite, yeah, low... Uh, intensity um, for me definitely I prefer to have some fatigue in the, in the group and everything makes everything more simple that's what a grand tour is about so it's good that we had that today Legs feeling good still? Yeah all good mate no problems well, Brian, we heard there Teo Gegenhart talk about why it really wasn't it wasn't the day uh, he thought at least for other teams maybe Jumbo Visma maybe Ineos to force Remco into a position he didn't want to be in, i.e. still in the pink jersey. But what did actually happen um, when all the the sums um, were done at the end of the day? What was the GC looking like and what had changed, in fact? Other than the obvious thing of Lechnesson now leading the Giro d'Italia, but he's only leading with 28 seconds. And Aurelien Paripantra has moved up to third, uh, just 30 seconds uh, behind. I think that's quite interesting, but all, uh, the the top ten now has, has seen some changes, like those two, because of the breakaway. And Tom Squins is now in in eighth position. Vincenzo Albanese is at eleventh. The most relevant thing is it, and that was the I suppose the wish for from Evenepoel and and Sudal Quickstep was to change the dynamic of who takes responsibility of the bike race uh, from here on. But with a twenty eight second lead, that's that's the slender one. Um, and we'll see what the next couple of stages involves, but um, it'll be interesting whether how hard DSM actually are able to work to keep him in that jersey. And I'm not super convinced that he'll keep that jersey for that long and then it might actually go back again to Remco. I think they think they've got it for two or three days at least, probably until the time trial. Um, Brian, in a, a change to usual usual structure of the podcast... Um, until the time trial? So that yes. in includes the Grand Sasso stage, the big possibly, mountain stage. Possibly. Three days. Three um, what day? What day are we on? 
Maybe not. Maybe I'm misrepresenting them now because we're what day is it tuesday i'm losing count i'm in grand tour mode and um yeah when i heard three days which was what was sort of being talked about around the around the team bus i thought that that meant until the time trial but it's not until the time trial at all is it? it's to the day before it's to the other side of napoli basically exactly so salerno tomorrow then napoli and then we're, we're doing the big uh, first big mountain stage uh, it seems, Brian, like an opportune moment. Since you mentioned Orion, uh, Paris Panthers GC position, he's now third, as you said, uh, 30 seconds down. Seems like an opportune moment to go to and hear from a member of the winning stage winning team today. And that's our good friend, lucky Larry Warbass, the Motown maestro. I caught up with Larry as he came over the line. And please excuse the very inopportune uh, interruption to this interview by a certain Mark Cavendish. Well, Larry, um, good to see you coming safely and good to see you with a smile on your face. You've always got a smile on your face, haven't you? <laughs> um, as you always tell us. But um, you came here, one big goal, the team, um, get Orient, um in the top 15 on GC, but you've got a stage win as well now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we had two goals. Uh, Aurelian, I think more top 10 on GC and then a uh, stage win um, from anyone. So we already have the stage win, that's awesome. Um, hopefully we can get another one, that'd be really cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now he'll be really high on GC, maybe third or something, I don't really know, but uh, he'll be up there. How do you find out that your teammate has won a stage? I saw a couple of your teammates that came back to the bus, and they... (laughs) (laughs) And they, um, Mark Cavendish there. Um, And they... (laughs) He's still looking back. They, They... told a couple of swineurs that they've been watching on TV. Oh, really? I don't know whether they stopped uh, to the maybe side not. of the road. They probably went they to the team car. Team car, yeah. yeah. How did you find out? Uh, we heard it in the radio, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because it was like, you know, you heard he was there, whatever, and then it was just like radio silence for like 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, it was like, Felicitation. <laughs> or And then it was like, oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, it was kind of like out of nowhere. But, uh, but yeah, so it was pretty cool. Lovely stuff. And Larry, um, just finally, what's the celebration protocol in Ager 2R Citroën? I would guess champagne and... Uh, one glass? You'll have more than one glass? No, no, no. It's a grand tour, you know. you got to be a bit... Uh, I mean, maybe he will, you know. But, uh, no, I think uh, probably be pretty calm. So, it's a long way to go. It is, it is. We'll look up some woozy edgy to our Citroën riders tomorrow morning. Nonetheless, um, enjoy yourself tonight. Well done. Thanks. Cheers. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Remco, you're the best. Have on the Vuelta, Remco, perché ti amo. Het land op stelta, dat doe 
Vindt steeds een tweede adem, willen versprinten. Remco Perchettiamo, ons hart kleurt roze. En sprak het Italiaans aan, zou je nu horen. Remco Perchettiamo, Remco vliegt over de pen. Bob Ryan, do you know what that musical monstrosity was? Well, no, because I, uh, I heard uh, parts of it earlier. And uh, it's part of a... Um, isn't it part of Belgium's bid for the Eurovision Song Contest? I'm not entirely sure about this. And my grasp of exactly what's going on with this song is slightly is slightly loose at this point. We're going to investigate a little bit more tomorrow. What I do know is that it's to the tune of a very famous Italian pop pop song um, called Sarà Perché Ti Amo, which was sung by the Genovese group called Ricchi e Poveri, premiered at the San Remo uh, Music Festival in 1981. It's also very famous in Italy because it's the song that... Milan, um, AC Milan football fans sing when their team comes out, but with slightly different lyrics and slightly insulting lyrics if you're a supporter of Juventus. And one of our colleagues, Jan Peter de Vlieger of Het Newsblad, was explaining to me that one of the lyrics in this song is some kind of comparison of of pizzas and Remco not being an, just an ordinary pizza. He's a calzone, um, a special pizza. Um, folded over with ricotta inside, possibly. I no, don't know. I'm, I mean, it's a bit of an insult too, I suppose. You know, calzone is, is uh, roughly translated into a big sock. Yes. Um, I think at this point we need someone to we, we need someone to rescue us from this rabbit hole. Should we turn the clock back to earlier in the day and um, let's give Lionel Bernie or let's hear me give Lionel Bernie a call around about lunchtime today for our pals at Cappuccino. It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Pronto, pronto. Ma vorrei parlare Mal un tempo. po' di italiano. <laughs> Mal tempo in, in Italia oggi, Daniele. <laughs> sì, allora continuiamo in italiano o vuoi... Oh, English, English. <laughs> um, how's, how's it going, Lionel? That, that's, uh, it's going very well, very well. My, my preparation only goes so far, though, <laughs> you've had a busy, I think you've had a busier day today, haven't you? Um, I have had quite a busy day. <laughs> I have had quite a busy day. Well, Lionel, I come to you from the steps of the press room at the, at the finish at Lago Lacino. I talked about it yesterday in the pod, didn't I? It was like the aquarium in Basel, as Romeo and Juliet to my... Giro d'Italia, it's my love affair with the Giro d'Italia. Um, how are things with you, Lionel? Well, they're good. I mean, today has been one of those days where it's needed eyes on from a really early point in the race, hasn't it? Yes. It's been all go, really in contrast to the last two days. I wanted to talk about the race a little bit, actually, because... Uh, well, Maraveni was was slightly irascible, I think, when the suggestion was put to him on Rai Television that the having back-to-back stages over 200 kilometers where really very little happened. Making, making gestures like the, the plumber on the phone had just quoted an extortionate <laughs> price to fix his pipes. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I, I, 
it basically the suggestion that perhaps the stages ought to be 120 kilometers and uh, well just to paraphrase Veni said what is this junior cycling and I think that's one of the things about the Giro d'Italia isn't it it is different to the Tour and the Vuelta and you have to take the kind of the piano sections with uh, it is you know, they're, the, they're the kind of trade-off it is but there's a, they are the there trade-off. are parallels with this and the culinary intransigence we've been speaking about over the last few days aren't they the traditional the ardent traditionalism I mean um, just a moment ago, Francesco Moser was in the press room. He still works on the race in, uh, from Mediolanum um, as a sort of ambassador. And I overheard on TV that he lost the jersey, the pink jersey here in 1976. And I looked up that stage, the 76 stage to Lago La Cena, won by Roger de Vlamic. And it was five, um, not 500 kilometres, 250 something kilometres. Um, you know, then were the days, weren't they, Lionel? Yeah, I mean, we've seen very long stages in the much more recent past as well, haven't we? And uh, it's all part of what the Giro is, I suppose. There's, uh, you know, a trend for watching from kilometre zero just simply because it's available. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit down on a Sunday and a bank holiday Monday, as it's been here, and watch everything. Um, but I would say that the drama of the last two days has, uh, you know, it's, it has been significant, hasn't it? I mean, the crash on stage two, just outside the three kilometre, the magic three kilometre um, curtain, I suppose, the, the, where the riders are all safe from losing time. I mean, it did uh, make me think that perhaps Adam Hansen is on to something there by suggesting that the, um, you know, that three-kilometer rule could be a bit more flexible. It was a crazy kind of finish, a pinch point, 3.7 kilometers to go. Had that been at five kilometers to go, maybe there wouldn't have been the same kind of hectic rush into the bit where it was narrowing. And the riders put so much into an effort in the time trial. I'm thinking not just of Theo Gegenhart, because there were others as well, but to then sort of hand back another 19 seconds as a result of a crash that was pretty much nothing to do with them. Well, on the one hand, that is Grand Tour racing, but on the other... Um, it is not the sort of drama that we necessarily want to see. On the other hand, yesterday's stage, Monday, and all of the attacking, with everyone knowing that those climbs were coming, and even very seasoned observers realising that the climbs were more significant and more difficult uh, than perhaps the roadbook suggested, the race really lit up, didn't it? An absolutely thrilling finish to stage three, and, well, today it's playing out as we expected they are they are racing and they will race at the finish very much looking forward to it but uh, what's the weather like there daniel well it's pretty chilly up here we're not too high but it's chilly it's misty there's been a bit of rain in the air i think stop for the moment but expect more for the finish more alarmingly the forecast for the next week more than a week is pretty rotten um no matter where you look whether you look in naples in a couple of days or even the long-term forecast for places like chisina or where the time trial is on sunday and even beyond that it looks as though we're going to have a lot of rain. Shades of the 2019 Giro, which was which was a bad one um, for weather. We've had a few over the years, haven't we? And it comes back to what we were saying before the Giro about the the this race being a, a rich cake of ingredients that may provoke allergies um, or other other forms of indigestion. Um, who who is going to suffer that indigestion? We don't know. But it, it feels like the next few days are going to be complicated icky 
Exactly. And I think when they are complicated and, and tricky, uh, we can forgive Mauro Venue for a few hours where the peloton in, can indulge in a game of pass the egg. I mean, this, this needs some kind of leader's jersey, doesn't it? Pass the egg. Uh, yeah, when... not too much light was shed on that. A few people tried <laughs> to investigate that matter yesterday. Um, yeah. Um, Lionel, um, anything else you've noticed? or Either listen to the podcast or watch yeah. it on TV. I've been doing... I've been doing Podcast both. HQ. I've been doing both, Daniel. I listened to... Uh, yeah, um, uh, whatever the Italian for chapeau is to Brian for his tale of the tapper. Um, interested to hear you at Remco and EF's hotel yesterday. And uh, hopefully you had lashings of those dusty biscuits for breakfast this morning. <laughs> Fette biscottate, 1.5 billion of which are produced in the factory down the road. Um, no, there were some fette biscottate, I'm, um, I'm afraid to say. Um, we won't ruin the suspense about yesterday's dinner. We'll talk about that later in the episode. But, Lionel, um, not long to go to the finish. So at this point, I should probably duck back inside the press room. And I guess we should speak again tomorrow. Indeed, yes. Enjoy in English the... or it's in English or Italian, Lionel. Oh, you, you, choose, um, whichever you, choose, you, prefer. you choose, Daniel. <laughs> well, Brian, that was Lionel earlier in the day. He also was impressed, or, or certainly quite taken, um, quite amused by some of Mauro Veni's antics yesterday. Um, maybe Rye TV's antics suggesting that the Giro d'Italia was um, slightly less entertaining than it ought to be. We've talked a lot about that in the last couple of days. But how pleased would Maraveni be with the spectacle that was served up today, do you think? I mean, it was an exciting stage. Certainly the first couple of hours, I mean, one of the arguments that was put to Maraveni is that this is a nonsense that stages are televised from kilometer zero now we don't need to see the whole thing and I mean, it's it ironic makes... that that criticism came from rye which yes. is the host broadcaster yes but the first hour the first two hours in fact as we heard Teo Gegenhart say earlier were extremely well they were difficult for the riders and they were very entertaining and it was an entertaining stage and also and and that's just, this is why where i actually agree with with maro Venye, is that if we don't have those hard earlier starts so, uh, sorry earlier parts of a stage the Giro, the overall Giro won't be as hard. And if we make shorter stages, it'll be easier for riders to recuperate. So there's, there's all kinds of mechanism in, in all that that I don't think it's just not like people come, oh, we're not, ent- we're not entertained, so it's not substantial bike racing. It, I don't think that, I think there's a lot more moving parts to what makes a Giro interesting in the end. And if we make the stages shorter and easier, I think we might lose some action at the end of the race. It's, a, you know, accumulated fatigue. We talk a lot about that when we talk about Grand Tours. We certainly had a great race at the front today, at the front of the the very pointy end of the race. What we didn't really get, we maybe expected, was a more of a sort out among GC riders. Yes, obviously uh, there weren't any major changes, but we we did see Remco Evenepoel isolated. In one of, I mean, this was a hard enough stage, especially because of the beginning, and potentially he burned some matches trying, you know, having to come back after being in the second part of the peloton early on. But still, it, it's not a, a good position to be in for him to be isolated on a stage like this one. This, they're only going to get harder, and the accumulated fatigue of his, the people helping him on the team will be significant as well. They're going to have, they, they can rest, I suppose, in the next couple of days. But it won't it won't be long, you know. And obviously he he's looking to the time trial. But on the Grand Sasso stage, 
things could happen. You know, some of his rivals have strong teammates who potentially also could threat him in the could be a threat in the GC. Jan Hert, who is one of his most important domestics, one of his most important climbing domestics, certainly suffered because of the cold today. Uh, is that a bit of a concern? Oh, it, is, it certainly is. When you look at the general forecast for all of Italy, it's it's not it's not the the beautiful sunshiny version of May we're seeing at the moment. And I think it's going to be a very, very cold part, on, on the, at least on these early mountain stages, because none of the snow that they were worried about has has gone away. It's probably accumulated in the last couple of days. I mean, the entire peninsula of Italy had an alerta meteo today for, for severe uh, rain. And that rainfall is the snow in the high mountains. So... Quite curious to see what what uh, what the next week will bring. Yeah, in hopefully we don't see any. Well, we we haven't had an update about uh, Cran Montana, uh, Cran the the stage in Switzerland. Um, there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk about that possibly being cancelled, shortened. I mean, it's not decapitated. That, yeah, it's it's because of the 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 second last climb, isn't it? That, which mm. is the the this must be the Chimacopi, isn't it? The Gran San Bernardo. Or St. Gotthard, one of those like really epic, very long, high altitude climbs in Switzerland. So it's not devastating if we start to have to look at cancelling some of the you know extremely hard Dolomite stages. It 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 could it would be a great concern for the outcome of the race. But we'll 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 take that one. We'll we'll be Italian about that. We'll see it when we we get there. Brian, let's talk a little bit about the pink jersey. You don't think it's going to last too long. Uh, interesting character, or certainly a rider with a lot of potential. He's he's kind of been talked about for a few years now. Got it's not great... someone who has problems riding in the snow. No, not someone who's likely to suffer in the cold, or one would certainly hope not. Uh, Andreas Lechnersund from, as you said, the Arctic Circle, north of the Arctic Circle, um, Tromso. He's a guy I alluded, you heard my interview with Matt Winston, I alluded to some personal problems he's had in the last couple of years or some difficulties that he has uh, had to overcome during the Tour de France last year uh, a good friend of his died in a, I believe it was a car accident died tragically young um, his father also died a couple of years ago from cancer um, his mum is a clean a very keen cyclist she apparently cycles every year from Oslo to Paris to raise money for um, uh, a cancer charity as well but we heard Matt Winston there describe him as a very sort of um, discreet character, quite a quiet character, but as I said, he's someone that certainly our Norwegian friends have been excited about for some time. He rode a smart race today also. He was talking about how he approached the final and figuring out the right place to go. And he said he knew himself well enough not to cover those early attacks because every one of those seven guys in the breakaway thought they had a chance of, of winning the stage and everyone was looking to him to keep the pace up to retain his possibilities of taking pink so he knew when his moment was and that moment was basically when everyone else was done attacking and and then off he went and it was only Parapanto who could follow him eventually and uh, yeah he seemed like a very sort of calm intelligent rider and this is a big deal and it's a very big deal for Norway being such a long time since they've had the the pink jersey And, and I think we'll see more to him also in this race he's clearly in fantastic shape Brian, and uh, second frustrating day for Trek Segafredo. Yesterday with Mads Pedersen, they did probably as much work as Jaco Alula and were slightly unfortunate to come up short. They were also unfortunate on the first day of the Giro, weren't they, when they had a crash. Well, there was a crash in the last 
four kilometers and that sort of derailed Mads Pedersen. And then today they had two strong riders, two of their bankers really in that break with Tom Screwins and our Eritrean friend. If you could, if you can bring it up again, I might have another go at pronouncing it. Um, Emmanuel. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that for Trek is that the, the next two stages uh, tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, you kind of look to them for keeping a breakaway within sort of a comfortable margin because those finishes are, are good for Mas Peterson, great chance for him. And and he'll need a very strong team to be able to ke- get a hold of whatever breakaway will go because breakaways will go there. There are stages that we'll talk about that later, but the stages that are hard in the beginning. So I like that they ride so aggressively, you know, and then it also they show that they're not not just a one-trick pony and, and, and what a pony Mas Peterson is, but still that there's other good riders here from that team. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. The Cycling Podcast Giro coverage is sponsored by Science in Sport and they supply the Ineos Grenadiers as well. But how do the riders choose to mix things up between Science in Sport products and real food? I asked Pavel Sivakov. Yeah, I do try to have real food. Uh, I mean... There is, especially let's say on the earlier part of the race, like of the earlier stage, um, I try to have some rice cakes, really like the speculous rice cakes the team is making, or some uh, rice krispies. Uh, the team is also making some some rice krispies, which is basically rice krispies with marshmallows. It's, it's quite it's really good as well. So yeah. Balancing this in the, in the earlier part of the race, and then when it gets more intense, obviously you, you want to eat gels or better juice or just energy drinks. So at the pointy end of a race, or when it's really intense racing, the riders tend to reach more readily for the gels and the energy drink. You can try the Go Energy and Caffeine Gels. They'll improve your alertness and reduce fatigue, helping you to go faster and further for longer. Go to scienceinsport.com for the full range. Well, Brian, I teased earlier in the episode a little detour that we went on. Early today, we set out from our hotel in a place called Apalo, which was near Melfi. And instead of going left to the start, we went right straight to the route. Because when this route was announced a few months ago, I did notice that there were a couple of places, a couple of localities I've been wanting to go to for a while. Um, one was called Atella and the other one was called San Fele. Why? Because they are linked to an illustrious former rider, someone who very much left his mark on the previous generation to this one. Uh, and he's also someone that you've worked with, Brian, and know pretty well. So without further ado, it will be revealed um, pretty quickly who we're talking about. So without further ado, let's go back again to this morning. Well, Brian, no start for us today. Um, We're going somewhere else. More of that in a minute. But where, describe the scene, where are we? We're still close to the start, but where are we? We are... And I double-checked on the map. We are in the middle of nowhere, Daniel. <laughs> we are in the the hinterland of Basilicata. And this region is, I think, all of it is, is hinterland. It's a very remote 
region of southern Italy, and I think very unknown to, for most Describe foreigners. it, Brian. What can we see? I see rolling hills. I see apple orchards. I see vines. I see slightly, slightly precarious-looking road bridges. Yeah, yeah. We talked a lot about that. You're not. You're a little bit nervous about here. These, the constructions, uh, the integrity of uh, the bridges, and all. But I think this is this landscape has a very sort of calming effect on me, sort of lush and green with, with the odd... It's raining. With the odd buildings here and there, and yeah, it's a, it's a friendly, welcoming place, I would say. And Brian, well, it is raining, as I said, this is the weather that the Giro riders are going to get shortly, and well, they're also going to be passing early on the stage in the first hour, a place called Atella, and that's where we're heading, and we're on a special mission. We'll reveal more about that in just a second. Well, Brian, I promised a special mission for us today. Um, that mission is chasing Cancellara. Why, Brian? What has the Giro d'Italia stage for Lago Lacino, Venosa to Lago Lacino, got to do with Fabian Cancellara Classics Maestro well, of the last 10 years? Well, funny funny you enough, mention because Look, he's who's calling, calling you. Ciao, ciao, Brian. Ciao Fabian, scusa il disturbo, ma devo chiamare, devo, devo parlarti perché sono proprio a casa del, della tua famiglia qui giù in Basilicata. We're trying to establish sì, now sì, who's inglese, still here. Sì, se, se riesci, Fabian. Grazie. Sì, sì, hey, no, listen, listen, I, I have been as a young kid, I have been, I've been there in Atella, just... In there is this one square that goes down to the center. So there was actually my 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 how called my grandfather grandmother. But I think until 13, and then you know, then they died, they passed away. Then we went less down, and then I keep going on races. So I only remember at my young age being down there because with my parents to to go down because Atella is actually the place. He's, he's originally born in San Fele. No one has actually to do anything with it because it's just up there in the mountains. But it's, I mean, it's spectacular. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's a beauty. And then, of course, this Potenza. Remember, uh, my father always said, look, sangue di Potenza. This is because Potenza is potential, you know? Yeah. But and power. Atella is such... And, and also Monticchio. We went always up there with families, up there to grill, barbecues and so on. Fabian, who should we look for? Is there anyone still here that we can look for? In, or should we just go to the bar and ask if anyone knows a cancellara? Yeah, yeah, go. I'm curious. I mean, I can send you, Brian, I can send you a, a, a phone number from Rocco, my, my cousin. You can call him, uh, but also you can just go into the town to, uh, to, to, to ask, hey, uh, can you tell me something about cancellara? Because my... My uncle has been, um, how call that, like a, not an architect, but they build buildings around there somehow. My one uncle, my my other uncle, because the uncles are all now gone, but now still my one cousin has um, a heating company working, yeah, working around because there, I don't know actually how it looks, but I mean it's not a, it's not a rich region. It's really like feet on the ground everything really like farmers i mean how call that campagna yeah that's how it is the countryside is beautiful here fabian there's also like rolling hills it's yeah it's quite a stunning, yeah, yeah, the stunning landscape. i mean i've been riding up to monticchio and uh, 
uh, yeah, I mean, jumping into Montico never did because I was always scared that I never go up because uh, if you go down, you go down into this Vulcan. It's an, it's an old Vulcan, or how called Vulcano. Yeah, Brian's thinking of buying a house here, Fabian. He's thinking of moving. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> If you go to the restaurant in town, I think you will uh, you will get. I mean, I'm curious myself because I've never been there since. Yeah, since since I have been 13, so wow. I have never had the chance. I met them at the Giro d'Italia when we did uh, the, the stage in Napoli. They came for a visit, but otherwise, I have just been always away and and. and so Okay. Origin. Thank you so much for taking the okay. time, Fabian. Really no, no problem. Fabian. I will forward you now the address. No Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. That's hey, it. Bye, bye. Ciao. Thank you. Rocco, so cugino, sì. Ah, esatto. Allora. Qui venivo quando era piccolo qui. Sì, sì, l'abbiamo Salve, buongiorno, eh, Brian, salve, buongiorno. buongiorno. No, siamo qua ovviamente alla ricerca perché sì, stiamo seguendo un giro d'Italia ah, e okay. poi conosciamo anche lui, conosciamo Tobino Fanti. So Brian, we have been, we've been led by our two new friends. Voi vi chiamate come? Vito. Vito and? Giuseppe. Uh, Vito and Giuseppe have brought us to the museum in Atella where Lucia has, well, she's given us a guided tour of the ancient origins of this place and the, the crowning glory of this museum, well, we've got it in front of us. It's a tusk of something resembling a mammoth, a buffalo. Uh, you know, Fabian Cancellara had mammoth-like qualities at times, didn't exactly. he? Exactly, no, I mean, there's, there's some, a lot of, uh, there's some symbolic connections here. There's a mammoth, and he was most certainly a mammoth of, uh, of the sport with all you know, that he was able to do on the bike, but this is also a volcanic area. And as he mentioned on our call, like he went up there and was quite scared to, that it would, that would erupt. But Fabian was someone who made the races erupt, you know, of volcanic. Um, we're really squeezing power. this here. I mean, we're, really, we're, we're really straining. There is a for any kind of there bad metaphor or an analogy which we specialize in. Whatever it takes. couple of revelations one i got it totally i got it totally wrong about the mammoth it's more it's an elephant really isn't it and that was found here i can, I can live with that yeah the second revelation from giuseppe was that so well, he just remembered that lucia who's been who's been showing us around the museum is a cancellara not only is she a cancellara she's fabian's cousin and she was at his wedding she was at his wedding. It just goes to show what a small world it is. So I've actually asked her now to do a, a video message to Fabian because she hasn't seen him since, since, his, wedding. since his wedding. Allora, Lucia, ci manda un messaggio a Fabian. Eh beh, ciao Fabian, ciao Cuginetto. Vedi che il mondo come piccolo alla fine è flore, tranquilli. Well, Brian, we chased Cancellara. Uh, we found her. We found her, we found him, and we found... Fabian Cancellara's roots, and I think he was more excited than we are about him finding his roots. Um, certainly, you could sense that people here are still, well, they're, they're very proud of his achievements, and they're kind of desperate for him to come back. Yeah, they really are. We, we actually were able to hand over an official invitation for from the mayor, who was the mayor until uh, this Sunday, like when Giuseppe. they are off now. Uh, yeah, one thing that, that always astonishes me when we're down here, you know, when we came into town, it all looks little bit deserted and there weren't many people around but the minute you ask people something the minute uh, you need help 
they they basically take i mean these 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 two nice uh fellas they they took off half the morning to show us around i i think that that would not happen in in napoli or sorry in the milano up north the the how the hospitality here the kindness and yeah for me that would that's just uh it's it's not a, there are a lot of clichés about southern italy but they are some of the nicest people you'll meet. Brian, I joked to Fabian that you wanted to buy a house here. I think we ought to stay, actually. Having heard from Vito and Giuseppe how long people live here, they were, they were reeling off the names of people, a 106-year-old person, a 102-year-old, 110-year-old. I mean, when we were walking back to where, where we are now, where the car is parked, uh, someone passed us. I mean, everyone knows each other here. In his Tesla. Yeah, in his, <laughs> no, in, in his, uh, it must have been a Fiat of sorts. And they, they, they pointed out, well, this is a f- the former doctor of, of the town, and he's n- whooping 98 years old. And, uh, you know, we, we'll talk about... fine fettle, didn't he? We'll talk about your driving later, but he was doing just fine in these narrow roads. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. Well, Brian, what a great adventure that was. And um, I think you should give Fabian a call. Well, we'll send him the episode and I'm sure he'll be delighted to find out that it was a fruitful visit to Atela. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, sometimes when you do those detours in a, uh, in a race like this and on a, on a busy schedule as, as we're on with the podcast, it, you could end up not empty handed, but you might not find what you're looking for. And I think today was almost, it felt like if we were supposed to meet these people and we were supposed to be able to catch Fabian Cancellara on the phone and on a busy day for him, he told me. And uh, just as as you could hear in the episode, he, he actually called just as we were talking about trying to get a hold of him. I sent him a message earlier and I'm, I'm happy that I'm still on, on speed dial with, with Fabian. We've known each other for a very long time. Unusual fact about, or curious fact about uh, Fabian Cancellara, he rode Jira three times, never finished it. Didn't win a stage either. It was about the only race, only major race that, um, or certainly the only one of the grand tours that he didn't leave uh, a pretty deep imprint on. Um, Brian, shall we now turn our thoughts forward to the next couple of days, and in particular, tomorrow? La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. So Brian, before we do talk about tomorrow, um, quickly cast your mind back to yesterday evening after the finish. We were still in Melfi, weren't we? We um, had dinner in Melfi at a place called Miseria and Nobilita. Um, that kind of, does that, that, that could be... Misery and Nobility. Yeah, that's sort it's of... you and I. Yeah, I was about to say, but it's just, it's the name of uh, quite a famous Italian film from the 1950s, I believe. Um, was it miserable or was it quite noble? Um, I had, what did I have? A kind of rucola rocket pesto 
spaghetti, very thick spaghetti, and I thought it was pretty pretty decent. I thought all the uh, both of the dishes that we had, we had the same starter, were were quite delicious. It was um, wasn't it was quite heavy food. I, I I didn't finish all of it, but you had pistacchio pesto. I had pistacchio pesto, same type of uh, spaghetti. Um, had a, a wonderful local wine, the Alianico del Vulture. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel, but I have to mention the aftermath oh, of that dinner. Go on. Because our, our lodging was uh, quite close by. Yet, uh, I think the GPS said it would take around 10 minutes. It, event, it eventually took five times as much because we got caught up in a very, very narrow street. Um, we got literally stuck, didn't we? we? For, we stuck. I don't think there's a future for me. If my if my bike riding was anything like my reversing, I don't think there'd be a future for me in a lead-out train, let's say. Uh, uh, no. No. Some people, like I, I'm not good at driving in reverse. I hope that's a reflection of my, my general outlook. But we actually, uh, it was so dire, the situation, that uh, someone came out of their house. One of the good folk of uh, Rapallo. Yeah, and actually just took you out of your misery and got behind the wheel and and maneuver the car out of a, a very tight spot. And, uh, yeah, and if anyone from Europe car is listening, the car was not scratched, it came through unscathed. And that's the most important thing, Brian. And that's why I was so prudent last night. You should be thanking me. Brian, talk about tomorrow's stage, please. Yeah, looking forward, and as we all want to do. Tomorrow's stage, stage five, 171 kilometers from Atripalda to Salerno, all of it in Campania. It's a lumpy stage, uh, the two category three climbs uh, official ones don't really do justice to the level of difficulty it contains it progresses sort of like a big loop uh, of the rugged countryside of campania before hitting the coastline after the last immediate uh, intermediate sprint it's more than 200 2500 meters of climbing and a lot of up and down however it's concentrated on the earlier and the middle part of the stage after the last uh, category three climb there's almost 60 kilometer relatively or completely flat kilometers uh, into the finish, uh, which is a very long straight run in um, to uh, Salerno. I think it's a sprinter stage, uh, unless a very significant breakaway can go. And that's the extra dy dynamic now of, an, of a new team in pink. So we have to take that into consideration as well. So yeah, I, I look forward to it. And we, you know, we're going to a fairly illustrious part of uh, Italy, the, the coastal side of Campania. And we're passing... Eboli, we're not stopping at Eboli, um, unlike Christ, per a very for the title of a very famous Italian book by Carlo Levi. Yeah, it's a very famous, uh, it's a very famous book, and it's a book that's about the North and South divide. He was uh, an activist, um, uh, anti-fascist, a writer, and actually also a painter, and he exiled there for a, a couple of years and described the severe poverty and how unattached that part of Italy was uh, to the north and kind of almost forgotten. And uh, when he um, he came back to uh, Italy, to the northern part of Italy, when Mussolini was uh, done being in power and then the war ended, and then he wrote this book actually in, in Florence, uh, Christ Stopped at Eboli. And yeah, it's uh, even if we, we do cross the Eboli, the river, we, we are certainly still in the southern part of, of Italy without any doubt tomorrow. And Brian, uh, Dino Buzzati, who we've often talked about on the podcast, also wrote about Eboli, and he said where he one of his chapters was entitled Neither Copy Nor Bartoli Stopped at Eboli um, either. So 
that is where we're headed. Um, we didn't mention, as we should spare a thought this evening for Vincenzo Albanese, who was kind of one of the locali, one of the local riders um, on today's stage. He comes from about 30 kilometers from the finish. His family were at the finish line, or one of his aunts was there. Um, big Napoli fan. So, uh, well, he's got plenty of reasons to celebrate. Well, he's got plenty of reasons to celebrate, but it would have been a yeah. double cause for celebration had he um, taken the pink jersey, which he was he was one of those riders who was within striking distance of the pink jersey, but didn't get it done. But he's a fast rider. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to take back one minute and 39 seconds mm. in the next couple of days. But he's, he's currently 11th on general classification. Exactly. And he, and he, you know, he was out there and represented his team really well. And, and that's a good start for, for them. You know, they probably... Banking on um, lucky Lorenzo Fortunato to... Whose birthday it was today, I think. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy Tanti birthday. Tanti um, so, yeah, that's that's just, that, he was really part of the race and he will probably also be quite active in in the next two stages, which are even more local to him in the sense of his uh, his great love for, for Napoli. Brian, I think that's it for this evening. Um, we're staying somewhere quite nice, quite special tonight. So um, without too much further ado, we're going to get on the road and hopefully enjoy a lovely meal, which we will tell you about in tomorrow's podcast. We will be in Salerno tomorrow evening. And until then, um, buonasera a tutti. Buonasera. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Byrne. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills.